Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast. Listen in as your host, Jimmy Atkinson, invites industry leaders to share their best OZ insights and investment strategies. From market updates to fund launches, policy news, tax mitigation strategies, and more, we cover it all here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm Jimmy Atkinson, and today we're talking about Opportunity Zone investing during a market downturn. Joining me today on the show is Eric Hayden, founder and CEO of Urban Catalyst, a premier Silicon Valley Opportunity Zone fund. Urban Catalyst is also the title partner on our upcoming OZ Pitch Day that will be taking place on Thursday, July 28th. If you're an investor who's looking to learn more about qualified opportunity funds, if you'd like to learn more about Urban Catalyst in particular, you can register for free at ozpitchday.com. That's ozpitchday.com. Please sign up and join us on July 28th for our big live online event. Uh, but getting back to our show for today, here with Eric Hayden. Eric, you're joining us today from Urban Catalyst headquarters in downtown San Jose, California. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Jimmy, it always is such a pleasure to be on your show. And yes, I am in downtown San Jose where we have another day of beautiful sunshine. Fantastic. We've got a lot of sunshine here in Fort Worth, Texas, but it's uh, about 105 degrees outside here right now. So a <laughs> little, little warm here, probably a little better weather out there in San Jose, I would hope. But uh, oh. let's, let's dive into the episode today. Eric, uh, really anxious to chat with you. We, we speak um, a few times a year. You're, you're always one of our big partners on OZ Pitch Day, as I mentioned, and, and we do two or three podcast interviews per year. You, you were last on my show last March, prior to our spring OZ Pitch Day event. And a lot has happened uh, just in the last few months in terms of macroeconomic conditions and, and the market. You know, inflation is at 40-year highs. It's currently running at 8.5% or more. The market is down more than 20% year to date now. It's actually the worst first half of a year since 1970. We're recording this episode the first week of July. So we just got those numbers from the first half of the year. Interest rates are on the rise to help combat inflation, but that might end up making recession an inevitability. Uh, Eric, what, what do you think about all these turbulent economic conditions? And are we in a recession or are we heading into one? I mean, it's so, so interesting to think about that because so much has happened since the last time we talked, Jimmy. And in general, it hasn't been the most positive news. I mean, obviously, 2021 was like a banner year here in Silicon Valley, especially. But I saw an interesting statistic uh, just this week. It said, going into the recession of 2008, 2009, 40% of economists thought they were in a recession. And just recently, we have nationwide, 40% of economists think that we're going into a recession. So I think when we hit that 40%, that's when we're pretty sure we're going to have a recession. But, you know, overall, recession fears are recession fears. Long-term investments like Opportunity Zone funds, where we're looking out over a 10-year horizon, uh, definitely not as impacted. But in some cases, we've seen some changes to our fundraising. That's for sure. Hmm. Well, so let's talk about that. How, how has your capital base changed over the last three to six months. I know, I know you guys uh, were always used to getting a lot of investors who had capital gains from stock uh, invested in, in your fund. Has that changed over time? And, and if so, how? You know, it, it has changed. And, you know, just a little bit of a recap, you know, in order to get the tax benefits for Opportunity Zone funds, it has to be a capital gains event invested. 
the three most common capital gains events are the sale of stock, the sale of real estate, and the sale of a business. You know, we're located here in Silicon Valley, and a lot of our investors, you know, work at tech companies, and the sale of stock was their capital gains event. Uh, since the stock market has gone down pretty significantly over the last couple of months, the number of investors that have invested with us from a sale of stock has significantly decreased. Kind of makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, these investors had their portfolio was really high and now they see it much lower and they think, well, we can just wait to sell until, you know, it rebounds and goes back up again. And also, Jimmy, this is exactly what we saw right at the beginning of COVID when the stock market went down. There was about four or five months there where stock investment just really wasn't happening. Now, what's a little bit different this time around is that we're seeing the sale of real estate as an investment type really pick up. And that has a lot to do with just real estate valuations in general. I'm talking about commercial real estate because interest rates have gone up to combat inflation. Um, we haven't quite seen the market correct as far as cap rates increasing to make better deals or what should I say, sales prices decreasing so that investors can get that cash on cash return they're looking for. And because of that, folks that already sold the property and are somewhere in their 180 day period, you know, perhaps they're looking to do a 1031 exchange. They're looking out into the market. They're seeing high interest rates for their loans that they want to take out. And they're seeing cap rates that don't reflect the current market as in the sale prices are too high. And they're saying to themselves, this isn't a good deal for me. What other types of tax advantage things can I do to shelter this capital gains? And so obviously opportunity zone funds comes to the surface. So in fact, even though we've been having kind of a rough you know, quarter and a half or a year to date, our fundraising velocity has remained about the same. In fact, we're a little bit ahead of where we anticipated being uh, you know, really when we set our goals at the beginning of the year. No, oh, that's interesting. So you, you've seen far fewer stock gains come in through your platform, but, but the real estate activities picked up quite a bit. That's exactly right. Yeah. And there's, is, is, so there, but there's a lag in some cases because a lot of your investors are, are doing 1031s at first. And then what happens, what, what causes them to shift away from doing a 1031 exchange oftentimes? Well, you know, the, the main reason why people sell real estate is what I call top of the market means they're going to get the highest price they've ever been able to get for their property. So they sell their property, you know, maybe their property was getting a certain, you know, return, they're getting a cash on cash return, or maybe like a call it like a five. And they're happy with that five. But now they can get this amazing price and they sell their building. And now they need to do a 1031 exchange, at least in their mind. So they're going out and they're looking for a replacement property. And what they're seeing is because the interest rates are higher, and because cap rates haven't adjusted to reflect the higher interest rates, they're not seeing that same cash on cash return that they were getting before they're seeing lower. And so to them, they're saying, well, this is a horrible market. I can't find any deals out there that pencil and make sense to me. I'm not going to make a bad investment. I'd rather pay the taxes than make a bad investment. And they go, oh, but there are these opportunities out funds. It's a little bit different. You know, it's not exactly a 1031 exchange tax benefit scenario, but you do get some tax benefits and they are pretty interesting. Maybe we'll check that out. So that's what we're seeing is those folks are coming to us and they're coming to us in a larger volume and we're having a larger volume of them invest with us. Hmm. Okay, that's really interesting. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I got this straight. When you're doing a section 1031 exchange, you, you have 180 days to complete the transaction, much like you do with 
an opportunity zone investment, you have 180 days from when you trigger the gain to roll it over into an opportunity zone fund. But the difference, one of the differences, there's a lot of differences between the two programs. One difference is when you are doing a section 1031 exchange, you only have 45 days to identify replacement properties. Is, is that what is happening here is investors are taking that 45 day period and they're realizing there's nothing good out there. And then, well, you still, they, they blow through the 45 day, but at least they've got 135 days left. No, so they, they, what they do is they identify their properties usually, and then they work on the properties and they start putting together their loan packages, mm. start doing their closing and go, this isn't worth it. And they call the seller and they say, I need a price reduction of a million dollars. So this deal doesn't work for me. And the seller goes, get lost. I just won't sell. I don't need to sell for that kind of price. I'm selling because it's top of the market. And then the buyer is saying, but it's not top of the market anymore. <laughs> they're correcting. And they're saying, well, maybe we don't have a deal. And so now they're going, well, what am I going to do now if I can't make a good deal? Opportunity zone funds are still a good deal. You know, our returns haven't changed because interest rates are up or down. And it's because of more of the longer term aspects of what we do versus what they're doing. I gotcha. That makes sense. You mentioned cap rates a moment ago. They've been compressing for years. And you mentioned interest rates are going up. So you're anticipating cap rates are going to increase as well. Can you go into the, the math of, of why that works out that way? Why do rising interest rates typically lead to rising cap rates? Sure. There's, there's a definite correlation between the two. And it goes like this. An investor who wants to invest and buy you know, an existing building, they're looking at what is the risk versus return threshold that makes sense for them. So for example, say they want to buy a building and what they're really looking for is a certain cash on cash return. But as an easy example, let's say it's a hundred million dollar building and the building has a five cap. So cap rates are really what people look at when they're looking at the acquisition. Cap rates, a cap rate is equal to net operating income divided by sales price. So I went out and had a five cap on a building I was buying and I bought it all cash. It's a hundred million dollar building. I'd end up getting $5 million a year as my cash on cash return. Now your cash on cash return is kind of the end all be all for buying existing, uh, existing assets. I mean, a lot of folks are also going to look at what markets will appreciate over time, but in the short term, you got to make sure your cash on cash return is acceptable. So here I'm looking at my 5% cash on cash return with an all cash purchase. Now using leverage to buy real estate is a very common practice, as long as you don't use too much leverage. So if I was to use leverage in this exact scenario, let's pretend I'm going to use 50% leverage. So 50% loan to value. Now I have a hundred million in cash. So now instead of buying one building, I can buy two buildings. And let's pretend they're identical buildings. Each of them have five caps. So I put $50 million of cash into each one and $50 million of debt into each one. Now, back before they started raising interest rates, let's pretend interest rates were 3%. Now this would make a lot of sense to me as the investor because now I've got these two buildings. They generate $10 million a year in net operating income. And this interest-only loan at 3% that I've got, I have to pay debt service on it, but the debt service is only $3 million a year. So now, instead of getting $5 million during my all-cash purchase, I'm getting $7 million a year by using leverage. And that is my cash-on-cash -cash return. Now, that's that risk versus return that I'm talking about. So an investor who bought this building prior to interest rates going up was really looking for a 7% cash-on-cash 
So they looked at a five cap, knew they could use leverage and boost that to a seven. But now that interest rates are up, if we did the same scenario, let's pretend interest rates are 6%. So now you've got your $10 million of net operating income on your two buildings, but you're paying $6 million a year in debt service on your 6% interest only loan. And now you're only netting $4 million a year. That's a 4% cash on cash. That's lower. So the investors say, well, I mean, I could get an all cash building. I could get a 5%. Using leverage actually hurts me. So I really didn't want to buy this building unless it was a seven cash on cash return. Hey, property seller, decrease the purchase price so that the cap rate is a 7% and I'll buy this building all cash. And the sellers are saying, no, I, I, I'm selling at the top of the market. This is not what I signed up to do. I can just hold the property. And the buyers are saying, well, this is a bad deal. I'm not going to make this deal. And what other alternatives do I have as far as tax advantaged you know, things I could do? And the opportunity zone funds are a great option. So that's why we're seeing more of that is because they can't find that, uh, that type of cash on cash that they're looking for as a risk adjusted return. Yeah, great, great explainer there on cap rates and how interest rates can affect cap rates. Thanks for that, Eric. Uh, so as a result of that, are we seeing transaction volume slow down? And what's what's happening with the commercial real estate market right now? In we, terms we haven't, we've seen it start to slow down, but it hasn't slowed down a ton yet. But we think that it will, you know, towards the end of the year. But we're also seeing uh, property valuations, you know, we're seeing that correction happen. So a lot of properties that were in contract, they fell out of contract and they're now back on the market at a higher cap. So the market is correcting itself. That shouldn't be too much of an issue over time. All right. So I want to return to what we were talking about a little bit at the beginning of our episode. Uh, the fact that we may already be in a recession or possibly we're heading into a recession. In any event, uh, there's a lot of negative sentiment from investors about a recession looming potentially. Is that affecting your fundraising at all or is it affecting your capital deployment at all uh, as, as you go to deploy the capital that you've already raised? So it's, it's not affecting our fundraising at all. Well, not significantly anyway. I mean, besides the fact that we have more real estate transactions than the sale of stock. And, you know, looking at how the stock market has behaved, um, you know, in previous times when the Fed has raised interest rates, overall, the stock market typically does fine throughout the interest rates going up. You know, here in, in the beginning, usually when they start raising the interest rates, everybody kind of freaks out and it's consumer sentiment from the stock market. So you see a little bit more volatility. But if history has shown us, it's shown us that the stock market will continue to go up and this is somewhat of a dip. So this shouldn't be the end all be all. What, what really is, is that we probably are in a recession. And if we are in a recession, it may affect you know, how investors invest their money. But investors still are going to be making money. They're still going to need places to put it. They're still going to have capital gains events. And so we think that tax-advantaged funds will really do fine throughout this portion of the economy. And what about inflation? I also mentioned at the top of the show that we're experiencing, you know, uh, once in a generation inflation levels. It's the highest level of annualized inflation that we've seen in I think about 40 years since the early 80s, we're at about eight and a half percent now over the last uh, couple months here, year over year. 
what impact, if any, is inflation having on your operations at Urban Catalyst, Eric? Does it have does it have any impact on on fundraising? Does it have any impact on your operating costs or how you deploy your capital? So inflation is something we're always paying attention to. And in general, inflation is a positive thing for us. And it kind of sounds funny that it's a positive thing because, you know, we're looking at building these buildings. You know, we have eight buildings between our two funds and a couple of those are under construction. But, you know, a lot of them we still need to lock in our construction financing. So we do worry about inflation when it comes to construction costs. Now, that being said, there are a lot more factors that go into construction costs and construction cost inflation than just regular inflation. The primary driver of construction cost inflation is uh, the supply and demand for labor here in the Bay Area. We don't have enough workers that live here to build our buildings. So we've already built in pretty significant construction cost inflation contingencies into our models, kind of what we're expecting to happen based on you know, historical data. And so I don't see inflation changing those numbers significantly. But where inflation really changes things is it almost directly correlates to market rate rents, especially for multifamily. But it also is true for office, industrial, hotels, senior living. Uh, and let's pretend in any of our models that construction costs go up at the same exact percentage as market rate rents. And what we find is we have positive returns, so increased returns because it matters more what the rents are than what the construction costs are. And so, yeah, we're seeing inflation is a good thing for our returns. Yeah, it's, it's leading to rent increases. Um, well, what kind of rent rate increases have you seen over the last year or so? And, and, and are those rent rate increases, increases, are they sustainable? Are they keeping pace or are they out flagging uh, wage increases? So, uh, Office is kind of an easy story, right? Office mm -hmm. has these long-term leases, 10 to 15 years. We haven't seen a whole lot of change in office rate rents. They're kind of stable. Uh, multifamily has changed significantly. During COVID, uh, rents in San Jose went down about 15%. I just read a recent report said they went down a total of 18%. And uh, as of... Uh, just this quarter, rents are now back above pre-COVID levels, uh, 3% above uh, you know, early 2020. That was a really good sign for our market, is that we, we knew they were coming back. We've seen you know, the Collier's, CBRE, and Newmark reports that rents were going to go up 10% this year, and we're seeing it happen. Now, is it uh, going too fast? Are we seeing it outstrip, you know, inflation and wage increases and all those things. The two, call it most common ways that you correlate market rate apartment rents. One is to compensation to employees and two is to the price of single family homes and what your monthly mortgage payments are. We have seen wages here in Silicon Valley for our tech employees, which are our primary renters, increase over 30% in the past 18 months. So that has been very significant. Um, we've also seen home prices go through the roof for the last two and a half years. The median home price in San Jose is now $1.4 million, making San Jose the fourth most expensive city that's a major metropolitan to live in in the entire world. So 
We've also, as that goes on, we've seen interest rates creep up with only increased mortgage payments. So the delta between what you pay in rent and what you pay in a mortgage payment is now extremely significant. In fact, there is an article in the paper that came out just today that said, if you rented versus bought the same home in Silicon Valley, you would save $150,000 over a five-year period. So it's renting is now significantly more affordable than home ownership. If anything is happening because of this uh, you know, inflationary pressure, it's these wage increases. Yeah, it's affecting urban catalysts that as we go to hire new employees, we're having a much more challenging time finding employees just because there's such a high demand for the employees here right now and their salaries are so high. Now, there's not enough housing, as, uh, as you mentioned, uh, which is one reason why you're building more housing, but it's expensive to build housing because there isn't enough housing. So it's kind of a chicken and egg problem there. But it, it, it sure is. We have a hashtag we like, hashtag every unit counts. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think that's a, that's a good one. And, uh, and very true as well. Well, let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about fund one and fund two from Urban Catalyst, your, your first two qualified opportunity funds. Uh, fund one closed, uh, I think a couple years ago now, and, and you, you have construction underway on some of the projects within fund one. It was a multi-asset fund that invested in about a half dozen different real estate projects, all located in downtown San Jose. Uh, what are some updates you can give us on, on your Fund One projects to date here, sure. Eric? So Fund One, we raised $131 million. It was a two-year fundraise. We closed the fundraising period in December of 2020. Uh, there are six projects in that fund. We've started construction on Paseo. We're actually almost done with construction. That's a 100,000 square foot mixed-use office building. And we've broken ground on Gifford Place, which is our senior living facility. And we're making great progress on the other projects. We plan, we plan to break ground on two additional projects uh, before the end of this year, and then two more projects in Q1 and Q2 of next year. So that's exciting. It's also exciting in our first fund, Jimmy, that three of our projects are about 300 yards away from Google's future mega campus. And they've announced they'll be breaking ground before the end of this year uh, you know, their first phase is right next to our projects. And they also have come out and said that their project, which is around 6,000 housing units and 7 million square feet of office, will be a 10-year, $19 billion build-out. Hmm. I mean, just an enormous thing happening there. But uh, what I'm really excited to talk about right now is our Paseo project, the one that the construction is almost complete. Um, that project, 75,000 square feet of office on two floors. And then we have a ground floor, which is retail on a new restaurant row. And we're putting in four ground floor retail tenants. Uh, we've signed leases on three of the four spaces. We have a group called Urban Putt coming in. This will be their third location. They're a miniature golf full service bar and restaurant. And I can kind of say Urban Putt to me is Burning Man meets Las Vegas meets like a theme park. It is the coolest putting you've ever seen. So they're taking a, a huge amount of our space. Um, our ground floor retail space has 35 foot floor to ceiling heights. So it's really an enormous space. You can do a lot. Uh, our second tenant is called Unofficial Logging. They are an ax throwing place. This is their second location. Their first location is in Bend, Oregon. You can think eating French fries, uh, hamburgers, fried pickles, drinking some beer and throwing some axes. So that's going to be fun. Um, our last 
group that we just signed up is a group called Paper Plane. They're a downtown San Jose bar and restaurant group. They have three of the coolest bars and restaurants here in downtown. And they're opening this, uh, will be their fourth location. And they're planning on doing a brunch concept, which is really exciting. Uh, I'll be able to announce our fourth tenant here shortly, but we haven't signed the contract yet, but you can think uh, coffee. Okay, well, good luck with that. I'm thinking coffee right now. Uh, <laughs> so, and then above those ground floor tenants, there's office above there in Paseo. Are you concerned about the current um, back to work climate in the Bay Area, in Silicon Valley, in San Jose? Uh, what, what's, what's the current status of, of office? Are people going back? What's, what's going on there? What does downtown San Jose look like these days in terms of office tenants? You know, I'll tell you, that has been the question I've gotten probably most consistently over the last couple of years. I think, Jimmy, even you and I have talked about it. Before. Yeah, I've, I've, I think I've asked you about it every time you're on the podcast. And uh, well, I think it's getting better and better. But but what are we what are we looking at right now? Well, the Bay Area still has the lowest return to work of anywhere in the country. Uh, Texas, where you're at, Jimmy, is leading the way. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Before the pandemic, Everybody looked at occupancy rates as how to judge how many people were in the office. And now they're actually like counting the number of people in the hmm. office. So interesting statistic, prior to COVID, on average, 65% of workers were in the office every day. That was the number. Hmm. Um, Texas right now is between 60 and 70%. Hmm. They lead the nation. Uh, here in Silicon Valley, we're st still at about 35%, which means we're at about 50% or so. So about half the people are back in the office now, but kind of fun that's happening here in downtown. You know, we're right next door to Zoom's world headquarters and we share a parking garage with Zoom. About a month ago, all of my employees were complaining that there was nowhere to park because Zoom was back in the office. And, you know, you think if anybody was going to drink the, you know, work from home forever Kool-Aid, it had to be Zoom, right? And here they are back in the office. Uh, another exciting thing that we, we're seeing it was recently announced uh, adobe who's had their world headquarters here for over 25 years uh, they're just about finishing their cold shell improvements on their new uh, million square foot office high rise and they had announced during covid that they did not plan on occupying it and building out the tenant improvements and just last week they announced they're starting the tenant improvements and they will be moving 3,000 employees into that office building almost doubling their footprint of employees here in downtown san jose so it'll be nice to have some new neighbors. Yeah, that'll be nice. It sounds like downtown San Jose is coming back to life uh, a little slower than than we're coming back to life here in Texas, but but surely enough, uh, and certainly with Google building that mega campus they're building, I think the long-term trend there, I, I can't imagine they'd build that campus and then have nobody come into it. So <laughs> I think uh, you're asking me anyway, it's probably like you're heading in the right direction, but maybe a little slower than you'd like. Yeah, well, what about fun too? Eric, um, Fund 2, you started raising capital for shortly after you closed Fund 1. Uh, you are raising capital for the ground-up construction of two buildings on a single city block, Icon and Echo, an office building and a multifamily building. You just surpassed a $100 million raise, so congrats there. What's the status of Icon Echo, though? What, what, what can you tell our listeners and our viewers about it? Sure. So Icon Echo are our two projects in Fund 2, and Fund 2 is a $200 million fundraise. We plan on continuing to raise funds through the end of next year. Uh, so hitting the halfway point of $100 million, you know, we had a big celebration. It was a lot of fun. Um, Icon and Echo, we're making just a ton of progress. 
Uh, as a part of the assemblage of property, we have almost half of an entire downtown city, city block, as you mentioned. Uh, we've acquired three of the four properties, so we've closed escrow on those. We're in a binding option contract to purchase that fourth property, and we plan on purchasing it here in November of this year. So coming up here shortly, we'll own all four properties for the project. Uh, also, you know, we're also making a lot of progress with the city as far as our building permits. We expect to have our building permits by mid next year. Uh, our first building permits, however, we'll have in November of this year. So we'll start doing some demolition and some of the uh, offsite utility work, which is why we're able to close escrow on that last property because it was closed escrow at building permit. So very exciting. So you'll break ground before the end of this year. That's the uh, that's the current timeline. Yeah, we're going to start doing some of the preliminary work, some of the demos, some of the groundbreaking, and then we'll start vertical construction activities on one of the two phases uh, mid next year. And then uh, when will you uh, top off the buildings and and complete the project ultimately? What's sure, the timeline so, looking like there? Uh, both buildings take about two years. Okay. So starting in 2023, they'll be done in 2025. And we'll lease them up and stabilize them. And that's really the big thing for our investors as a lot of opportunity zone fund investors want to see is they want to see the fund make distributions prior to that 2027 date when they have to pay taxes on that initial capital gains event. So our plan here at Urban Catalyst, build the buildings, lease them up, stabilize them, uh, get that permanent financing, pay off the construction loan, and then any excess refinance proceeds, distribute those to our investors so that they can pay their taxes in 2027. Obviously, yeah. Jimmy, no guarantees, but definitely want to share the business. No, that's huge. Yeah, I think a lot of funds are, are planning something similar, taking some refinance proceeds and distributing them out to their uh, opportunity zone equity investors so that they can pay that tax bill when it does come due uh, in April of 2027. I think that's that's smart. And of course, you know, like you mentioned, not guaranteed anything could happen here in the next few years, but that's the plan. At least I think that's smart that you build that in. You know, one nice thing, Jimmy, that we're seeing is uh, right across the street from our project, Icon and Echo, is a brand new 630 unit uh, multifamily project. It's two high rise buildings. That's called Miro. And it is currently leasing up at 35 units a month. And it has the highest multifamily rents in the city. Hmm. So seeing that happen right across the street, it's a really good sign for downtown San Jose and for our overall market. It's nice that the rents that we have in our models are lower than the rents that they're leasing up today across the street. Well, that's great. Now that's great news uh, for, for you and for downtown San Jose for sure. And what about beyond fun two? looking into the future a little bit here, Eric, what, what are your plans and urban catalysts plans after you're done with fun two? Will there be an OZ fund three? or perhaps other types of real estate investment funds? What are you thinking there? Sure. I mean, if the current legislation holds up, more than likely we will have an opportunity zone fund three. Uh, it would start in 2024, uh, be you know, focused on downtown San Jose. That's where we are developers. You know, Really what sets us apart from most other opportunity zone funds is we're the developers, not just the fund managers. And we've been doing business here in San Jose for our entire career. So this is kind of more of the same for us, a lot of successful projects. We're just funding it in a different way. Uh, however, of course, I'm sure you're very aware as are a lot of your listeners of the new legislation that's been proposed uh, surrounding Opportunity Zone funds, and that might uh, change our plans. Yeah, so the current legislation, or I'm sorry, the, the, the pending legislation, I should say, or the legislation that has not been passed yet, but was introduced 
into both houses of Congress, both the House and the Senate back in April of this year uh, would call for several improvements to the Opportunity Zone tax incentive, uh, but it would also disqualify early certain high-income census tracts. What impact would that have on, on San Jose's Opportunity Zones where you are developing, Eric? Sure. So, uh, you know, overall, I think it's great legislation. And I'm really hoping that it passes because it would be a huge benefit for our investors. You know, we have over 750 investors now and two of the huge benefits. Number one, no one has to pay their taxes on that initial capital gains event in 2027. They get an extension to pay it in 2029. So an additional couple of years, that's always nice. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is there were some incentives as a part of the program that have since, you know, uh, ceased. And one of the big ones was when you pay those capital gains taxes, uh, on that additional capital gains event, you got a 15% discount. Then it was a 10% discount. Now it's zero. This would retroactively give everybody that has invested in the Opportunity Zone program that 15% discount when they pay their taxes now in 2029. And you get that discount throughout the rest of this year. And then next year, it's 10%. So kind of get to rewind the clock a little bit on that one, which would be nice. Uh, love those two benefits. In fact, I've gone on record saying, if that legislation passes, I will sponsor a fireworks show over downtown San Jose for our investors. It's so exciting. Uh, now, that being said, uh, two other, you know, kind of significant aspects of the legislation. One is reporting requirements. That's not really that challenging. I mean, it's just some additional paperwork. It kind of gives us here at Urban Catalyst a reason to brag a little bit. We like to think of ourselves as like the shining example of what an Opportunity Zone Fund is supposed to be doing for the local community in, you know, what was the overall intent of the program and isn't being met, we like to think that we are exactly what the program intended and we are meeting it. So that'll be kind of fun. Um, the last one is what you mentioned, which is certain opportunity zone funds will no longer in the future be opportunity zone funds because their median income levels are higher than say uh, national average you know, statistics. Uh, it would, in fact, get rid of three of the four downtown San Jose Opportunity Zone funds, including all of the uh, sorry, Opportunity, opportunity zone, zone Opportunity Zone tracks. I think yeah, right? Opportunity yeah. Zone tracks, yeah. including the tracks where all of our projects are located. Now, our first two funds would be fine. We're grandfathered in. We're not even just grandfathered in. There's like five criteria that grandfather you, and we check all five boxes. So it's kind of that's that's an easy one. But so to be clear, would, your existing investors have nothing to worry about. That's correct. Yeah, you guys Existing are investors good. have nothing to worry about. But as far as starting future opportunity zone funds, they wouldn't be grandfathered in. So we wouldn't be able to do business in San Jose. San Jose is where we do business. And yeah, I mean, it may be that we decide, yes, we can go to Oakland. I've done a lot of work in Oakland. They have great opportunity zones in Oakland. But uh, it's going to be something that we're going to have to think about. In, in the meantime, Jimmy, we're looking at other types of funds. Uh, we do have a couple of funds uh, on the horizon. One is an interval fund and another is a Delaware statutory trust. Delaware statutory trust is pretty interesting. It should be coming out here uh, uh, mid to late August and it'll be our first uh, Delaware statutory trust or DST. And they've been very popular in the market as a really a tax advantage for the sale of real estate. Yeah, it's essentially a uh, fractionalized uh, 1031 exchange uh, for for lack of better phrasing, I think. Is that right? I, I like to call it a syndicated 1031 exchange. There you go. There you mm -hmm. go. But yes, fractionalized kind of makes sense. It's just a bunch of investors pool their money together and invest into a fund and they get all the tax benefits of a 1031 exchange and they get property that is you know institutional quality and scale with institutional quality managers.
that that they might not otherwise be able to reach on their own. But mm-hmm. uh, got a million bucks, you can invest in a DST, maybe access a fifty million dollar, a hundred million dollar property in 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 a fractionalized ownership group. Is that right? That's right. And then DSTs, you know, in general, they make monthly payments. We like to call that mailbox money because you don't yep. have to manage the property. You're not unclogging a toilet. All you're doing is going to your mailbox, getting your check. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. It's a lot different than OZ investing, which is uh, more opportunistic. There's no, there's no stabilized asset at the beginning of an OZ investment. Oftentimes it takes a few years to get that property built up or the uh, project substantially improved before it starts cash flowing. But, but DSTs, Starts so cash flowing from day one in, in a lot of cases. Um, That's exactly right. You know, Jay, sometimes yep. I like to break up real estate into three categories as far as, you know, the types of investment. It's you can buy stabilized assets that are income producing. You can buy assets that are income producing that you're going to do some value add, you know, you're going to do some improvements to them. Uh, and then, you know, you can do ground up development. The majority of opportunity zone funds are either ground up development or pretty significant uh, improvements. Mm-hmm. Because there is additional risk, you got to have higher returns. So, in general, opportunity zone funds have a higher return threshold than you know buying existing stabilized assets. But there's a market for all of it. So, you know, everyone's portfolio needs some real estate, and having a variety of types of real estate would be a good thing from a diversity perspective. Absolutely, and it's exciting to hear that you guys are getting into the DST game. I'm uh, looking forward to speaking with you and your team more about that in the coming months as you get closer to launching that product type. Well, Eric, uh, as always, pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, you're a great guest. As always, I think you're, you're one of the more prolific guests I have ever had on the Opportunity Zones podcast. I don't even know which episode number this is for you on here, but you got to be up at like five or six or something like that. You know, um, Jimmy, it's just because I like talking to you so much. I think that's it. I think that's it. And, and, and of course, we, we appreciate having you guys as our title partner on OZ Pitch Day. And again, You can head to ozpitchday.com to learn more about our upcoming event on Thursday, July 28th. But Eric, before I let you go today, where can our listeners and viewers go to learn more about you and Urban Catalyst if they're interested in learning more about uh, what you have to offer, your investment offerings, your qualified opportunity fund, or or your upcoming DST? Sure. Visit us at urbancatalyst.com. Urbancatalyst.com. That's easy enough. And uh, as always, of course, For our listeners and viewers out there today, I will have show notes available on the OpportunityDB website at OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And there I'll have links to all of the resources that Eric and I discussed on today's show. And also, please be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube or your favorite podcast listening platform to always get the latest episodes. Eric, thanks again. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Jimmy. Take care. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by Opportunity DB. You can access our show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com forward slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode. 